Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Um, my guest today is Herb Stevens, president of Democracy Earth. Herb, how are you doing? Great. How are you, Richard? Yeah, you got a nice first question. Uh, it's always the same. You know, tell me about what you do and tell me about Democracy Earth. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I consider myself now a, a social entrepreneur, kind of using technology to benefit the, the world. Uh, I've been a serial software entrepreneur here in Silicon Valley for the past 25 years, focusing mainly on what I would call disintermediation, uh, sort of power to the user. I was chief operating officer and CFO of Intershop Communications. We took that public in 1998. Core team left there, funded by DFJ to build Blue Titan Software, which was acquired by SOA Software. And after that, mm -hmm. I uh, built New Health, uh, which was a Salesforce.com uh, healthcare app acquired uh, by a big healthcare group. But for the past three years, mostly been working uh, on blockchains um, and doing so uh, independently, again, as a social entrepreneur. Um, back in 19, or, sorry, uh, 2015, I was introduced to the founders of, of Democracy OS, which was originally out of Argentina, uh, brought to uh, uh, the Bay Area here by Y Combinator, which okay. became the Do Democracy Earth Foundation. And so I met the founders, uh, Pia Mancini and uh, Santiago Siri. Uh, and I've been working uh, with them uh, since. So tell me about Democracy Earth. What's, what's the project about? Yeah, so uh, first and foremost, we're, uh, we're a nonprofit. Uh, we're a California 501c3. Essentially, we're building open source software to uh, improve democracy uh, globally. We're utilizing blockchains to do so, and, and specifically enabling liquid democracy for the world. So if you will, first, it's a mobile app. Uh, second, it's a vote token that's used in smart contracts. And so... Uh, we have been focused a, a lot on the uh, the user interface and user experience, you know, where the thumb hits the screen uh, to basically enable power sharing, if you will. And, and, you know, the world's changing. The lines are blurring with uh, with digital assets and currencies and, you know, votes and what they are. So we're sort of see uh, that ability to receive and share votes and other forms of power as sort of one of our main functionalities. So what, what are some of the use cases you're working on or which use cases? is the, the furthest along. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we sort of, uh, the use cases, you know, I kind of think of as sort of a, a, a big top-down use case and, and in other cases, bottoms up. Top-down being kind of nation-state votes, you know, uh, countrywide type elections or referendums managed a, a large segment of the Colombian peace referendum that was held last year. Obviously, that's a war with the FARC. That's, if you're not familiar with it, it's been going on for 50 mm -hmm. years. They held a referendum for peace. It was a yes-no vote. 
And, um, you know, we helped them manage the votes that weren't, uh, that needed to be done over the internet, which were the 14 to 18 year olds. They were very concerned about what they thought relative to what happened uh, with Brexit. And they also wanted to find out what the expats thought. Over 6 billion people have left Colombia because of the war in the last 50 years. And so reaching out to them, the only way to do it is securely enable them to vote over the internet. The interesting thing is that the local vote in person was, uh, first of all, turned out really low because a storm came in. So you can start to see, you know, why it would be important to vote, be able to vote from your mobile phone or internet when simple things like weather can suppress a, a vote. Um, the second thing is, is the local vote always only was yes, no, where ours, we enabled a, a series of questions and we we're able to pinpoint why the vote ultimately went no. So it was very powerful from that standpoint. The other use cases we have are more bottoms up liquid democracy. If you're going to be a, a small community or you're something like you know, Occupy Wall Street, you're going to band together as a group. You're going to create an organization. You're going to you know, pose questions and you're going to be able to conduct those votes openly and on, on blockchain. So those are a couple well, of questions about the, um, the initiative you know, regarding. Did you do just yes, no, or did you, you said you asked questions as well. What kind of feedback did you get on the process and what interesting things did you learn? Yeah, well, specifically there, what we learned, you know, the FARC in their peace deal, they had sort of eight main uh, demands or areas. And so in, in the main vote, the citizens were only allowed yes or no, but in ours, we were able to segment all those eight different areas. And one of those areas that really tipped it to the no was representation in Congress was, was one of the FARC's demands, and that didn't sit well with the people. And so just that one element of the eight, if they had altered, we think that the nation would have said yes. So it was, it was able to, to, to get that data uh, in that detail in an election. That's very cool. What about the process itself of voting? Did they experience it differently because it was blockchain based or is it just you know to the customer, the voter, it was seamless? Yeah, no, at the end of the day, you want to make that seamless, right? It's, it's pushing that yes button or that no button or the candidate A or B. And uh, so you want to you know hide, hide the blockchain uh, and other technical details in the background. Yeah, I guess it would just get in the way if you mentioned any of that. What about the, um, I mean, tallying votes must have been uh, pretty quick. And, it, you know, what, what insights did you get as votes came in? You could see them come in, I guess, you know, right away. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, and we even think sort of beyond, you know, just seeing the votes come in, you know, we sort of have a vision that people will be able to place their token over time on a particular candidate and never take it off. And elections become more of deadlines rather than just, you know, days, if you will. Right. So think about it. If, if you could put your token on the candidate that you wanted today, regardless of whether that, if you will, that candidate was running or not. Right. You know, everyone could see out on a public blockchain how much support, let's say, Bernie Sanders really had. Right. If everyone had a presidential mm. voting token. And I can just put it out there where I want it. Now, elections aren't, you know, these spikes where they can be manipulated, let's say, by Russians or other or, or the media. And they're just who's good into the final days of election. But people can see the movement over time. And even the day after the election, see if that person really maintains that support. Oh, very interesting. Through an election and, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an ongoing popularity contest for a given president. Data you'd see. Well, exactly. And I think it would go a long way to get rid of most of the ridiculous polls that you see out there. You know, most of those systems are really not that accurate. And, uh, you know, so you'd have a, a, a true, honest reflection of of how society feels. Oh, very interesting. Here's an area uh, people would, well, it, you wouldn't also have to go and stand in line to vote. You could do it, you know, uh, there still would be a deadline. And I guess there would be increasing, you know, calls to 
hey, vote before it's too late, before the deadline's over. But it'll be really interesting to see how things moved and changed in real time. Yeah, and, you know, that's the promise of liquid democracy. It's it's not trying to force participation on people. It's not trying to change the existing, existing system. It's opening up possibilities, really. And so we can start to think about different forms of, of doc- democracy, um, you know, operating over time, as, as well as, you know, right now, I would say we do have liquid democracy. It's just frozen, right? We, we do give our vote to somebody and they go off to either the, the you know, the state or the national uh, Congress, represent us for a period of time and, and come back. And, you know, it's our feeling that maybe that representation isn't quite that direct and, and maybe it represents corporations a little bit more. But with liquid democracy, you can actually not only, you know, move your chip and, and show your opinion, regardless if society, you know, throws the bums out or not, you know, sooner or later, but can start to uh, support different forms of democracy that we, we can't today with sort of today's antiquated paper-based, you know, system. Yeah, I mean, you could also get, well, it's not even called a straw poll anymore, but it's a true poll of certain issues and, you know, take the temperature of what people want what's going on, and then adopt what you're doing based on what people actually want, which sadly is very revolutionary, but it would lead to uh, a lot an action of laws or retraction of laws. And uh, it would, I, I could see why it would be liquid democracy, like you say, it would be more fluid and things would work a lot better and with full participation. You know, at the end of the day, it's about getting corruption out of our public ledgers. And those public ledgers are both voting and budgets are the most important, right? And by putting these the voting... Uh, and these budgets on public ledgers, blockchains, we remove the corruption. And now that's going to reflect the will of the people. Um, now, real applications on the private side, if I can touch on that for a second, about decision making. And a lot of what we see today in these corporations is what I term decision laundering. Things are getting done, money's being spent, rivers are being polluted, corporations are doing things. And when it comes back to finding out the accountability or who actually made that decision, spent that money, violated that law, people are not being held accountable. Blockchains utilized within corporations are finally going to be hold individuals accountable for decisions they make and money they spent. So what would it look like inside of an example corporation? Would the CEO get more votes than uh, the lower level people? Um, how do you envision it would work best? Yeah, in that case, you know, yeah, the budgets of each department as they're allocated today could be represented in a blockchain. And yeah, for the most part in an organization, the CEO does have more power. He does have more uh, budgetary power. And that's usually allocated out uh, very specifically to individuals through the organizations where decisions are made and money is spent. And the key there is as that money is spent and decisions are made, you know, there's a shadow, if you will, blockchain, you know, keeping track of that such that when it says, wait a minute, when this money was spent and, and you know, and, and tracked, you know, who made that decision? Who was involved with that? And that will be able to be, you know, seen. And so within an organization, they might, they'll, they'll operate the same as they do today. It'll just be like, if you think it's just sort of an overriding accounting system. Today's again, you know, my background is finance and accounting, and I worked for GE Capital for, for a number of years, worked in global finance. You know, I understand balance sheets and income statements. I've, I've installed global SAP systems. So I really understand accounting and, and the accounting is fundamentally going to change corporations due to blockchain. And accounting at the end of the day is accountability. And today, how corporations operate, again, that decision laundering separates the decisions that are made from the money being spent and the individuals responsible for it. And there's going to be no place to hide 
it's going to be implemented in different ways in corporations, but there's just absolutely going to be no place to hide, just like we hope there's no place for corrupt politicians to hide in the future. What do you think are some of the, you know, you talked about some of the first use cases that are coming. Um, when will we see corporate-based ones? You know, I, I, that's a prediction I'm probably not going to make. I will say, just like there's certain resistance in politics to, you know, change, uh, there's the same in corporations. I think that boards and those with the shares are going to resist that type of transparency, and we're going to see it more in co-ops and, and nonprofits and public and, and other organizations first and foremost before it's maybe forced upon some of the more public or, or private companies. We also, you know, we keep a very we're we're a very global organization. As a matter of fact, there's more non-Americans than Americans. Santiago and, and Pia are from Argentina and Italy. We have developers in France and, uh, you know, all over the place in Brazil and, and Venezuela and Hong Kong. So we take a very global approach to this. And, and a lot of what we're building and, and implementing is going to be first and foremost outside of the United States. So we'll see how, uh, how things develop and how open you know, the United States is to certain elements of these change. But, you know, some of the areas I'm, I'm working on in the U.S., rather than trying to do what I described as the top-down approach, I'm doing more bottoms-up. Uh, I was a couple of weeks ago in Flint, Michigan, and uh, that's where I was born and uh, went to high school. And I was invited back a couple of months ago for a Flint homecoming to sort of work with the city and the officials and the business leaders to help bring the city uh, some new life and energy and ideas. And so one of the ideas there is, is working with the local groups to make sure that democracy is working from, from the ground up, that the people on the streets and in the city uh, are actually getting what they're demanding. And I think we saw with the water crisis, for example, the, the citizens screaming for something and then the, the, the politicians not actually listening. So here's an example of where if you know, local leaders could you know, pose some questions, answer them, distribute some voting tokens, let's say, on an issue, and have that on a public ledger, that gives those individuals that liquid democracy power, if you will, to take that up the chain, let's say to the city council or county or even state. And right now we see that that's breaking down right there in democracy where it's the loudest person in the room and they don't have tools and ways in which to actually bring the voice of the people up. So that's an example of, of working bottoms up. Why do you think this won't happen in the United States as fast as other countries? Well, uh, uh, let's look at Venezuela, for example. I mean, the federal government's broken down, their currency's a mess, and they don't have a way to really vote or put the will of the people out there in a, in a place that uh, is irrefutable. And so there's a lot of places, for example, where, you know, it's who controls box, you know, and, and that's the problem is the ledger of the budget and the ledgers of the votes are held by often corrupt politicians. So we think there's going to be a lot of pockets around the world that are going to need and want this out of pure necessity rather than just trying to, you know, incrementally improve what we have today here in the U.S. Okay, so the hottest areas with the biggest problems, it makes sense, will be the first ones to adopt stuff like this. Exactly. All right, so last couple of questions. What's your roadmap for the next six months or year? What projects are you working on right now that are close to uh, fruition? Yeah, we've uh, uh, we've recently uh, done a couple of things. We released our, our software product called Sovereign. That's a, a, a friendly way of uh, you know conducting votes. We've also recently released our uh, paper out on GitHub, and that paper describes kind of our roadmap and what we're doing with a new token that we'll, we're going to be issuing uh, called the Vote. And so 
you know, during the next six months, we're going to be, you know, actively building the smart contracts and uh, conducting an ICO. You know, we're, we're terming an initial rights offering, an IRO, probably the first of its kind. Mm. And we have a very unique uh, way in which we're uh, distributing the tokens. We feel that today's cryptocurrencies go to either, you know, the already rich or the early. And so we're going to be distributing these in a way that's uh, sort of uh, a, a right that people have as a birthright as a citizen of the world. And so you can read about it uh, in our white paper. Anything else you could say about the initial rights offering? How, how is it going to be different and unique from uh, you know other token offerings? Just a couple of details. You know, I can't I, I can't say a lot there, as you can imagine, because we haven't uh, officially announced our, our dates and, and terms and, and things like that. But uh, uh, and again, a, a lot of of what we're doing is in the white paper, but. I think that, you know, in the way we're distributing the tokens, in the way that we're uh, validating identity through basically what we call video captcha. So it's, 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 um, Santi, uh, uh, two years ago was the first to uh, register a live birth uh, on the Bitcoin blockchain. Uh, There was an article written about Mm. it, but it was one of the first use cases. You know, uh, digital ID is, is, is something that's very important in voting and uh, in our world. And essentially what he did, you know, the problem is, is a lot of people are, are undocumented. They rely on jurisdictions for their birth certificate, which are often pieces of paper that can easily be, you know, manipulated or destroyed or lost. And so the idea is to have all citizens, you know, register themselves on the blockchain using video and, you know, Santi did an example of this a number of years ago, and we've been working through the details since. Uh, and essentially, we, we mining is basically individuals, like we call them little brothers out there looking at the, at the video and verifying they're not duplicates and that it's a legitimate uh, citizen. And so in that example, he was able to take video of his baby sitting there in the, in the hospital, a video of the mother the mother talking and, and saying her name and where she's from and where she was born, uh, witnesses, including both of the mothers. And then they videoed the, you know, the documentation and, you know, all of the paper and then registered that to the blockchain. And so now Sant, uh, uh, Santi's daughter, Roma, w- with those private keys throughout her life, uh, anywhere in the world can prove who she is. It's pretty cool. So, yeah, that's that's something cool. unique, I think, that we're doing in, in ours. And, and, and by going through that that proof of identity, you're actually granted voting rights. And then what, then what happens is, is we're, we're dripping them, what we call dripping them, or some people call it spinning, um, over time such that you never run out of votes. So even if you, quote, spent them all uh, one day, the next, you know, they, they're going into your wallet uh, on a regular basis. So you always have a voice. We think that one of the problems, certainly in economic systems uh, and why universal basic income is kind of popular these days is because it's a liquidity issue. We also think so relative to the voice of the people. People really don't have their voice. Uh, they give their token to an individual, it goes off to Washington, and they never see that voice again. And so we think by constantly dripping, if you will, these vote tokens in, they'll always have a voice no matter how they spend them. It's about 35 pages. Yeah, what's the best way for listeners to interact with you and learn about it? Read the white paper, find out what you're working on. Yeah, well, we're open source. Uh, all of our stuff is on GitHub uh, right there. Uh, Democracy Earth should be able to find it right there. You know, I'm on Twitter at 
Herb Stevens. Santiago is at Santi Siri. And we're, we're our URL, we have the first .earth URL. We're democracy.earth. Hmm. Marv, thanks yeah. for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Richard. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.